Letting it all hang out. <laughs> that's, but that'll be a different podcast. <laughs> no, I mean, well, I mean, actually, that's like a that's a great point because you are kind of one of like the 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 forebearers of this confessional tone that dominated the internet uh, for yeah. so many years. Um, and I, I love that about your about your writing. You're you're so you're so open. It feels like you're you're chatting with a friend when you when you read your work. And I feel like that's why everyone everyone loved you in the first place. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Um, yeah. All right. So whenever you're ready, I'll I'm happy to go wherever you want to go. Sure. Um, well, yeah. Let's let's start with like a a, a brief introduction. Um, you know how how you started. And then we'll we'll take it from there. Yeah, sure. How I started back in the old olden golden in the, in the old in the olden days. <laughs> yeah, in the olden golden days of yore, um, I started as many people in media did as a lowly intern. Um, but of course, I was an intern in a very at a very very different time in media when. Um, you know, I wrote about it in my Substack this week where, you know, at any given moment, someone like Courtney Love or Spike Jones or Kurt Cobain uh, or at the time Punky Brewster was, you know, a hot ticket uh, would show up at the offices just to hang out with my bosses. So I did that throughout college. And so when I graduated, uh, I had a couple of different opportunities. Ironically, it was 17 and Cosmo and I ended up going to Cosmo where I uh, worked for a few years only. Um, within a few years, I created the prototype for Cosmo Girl, where I was the founder and the editor-in-chief. Uh, again, another few years after that, um, Cosmo Girl had really done, just somewhat dominated the teen market. Uh, and so our company bought Seventeen, um, which was in, not in great shape. Uh, and then they moved me over to run Seventeen, which was less... Somewhat actually less interesting to me because Cosmo Girl was much more of a soulful magazine, which is more my personal MO. Um, but I had a job to do. So I created a, an, a reality show for 17 uh, in order to sort of really help turn it around. And that was very successful for the magazine. Um, and I left, you know, I left uh, maybe one cycle in. I didn't renew, maybe I renewed my contract once. But at a certain point, I didn't renew my contract, um, both for personal reasons. I was sort of a train wreck behind the scenes, but also professional reasons, wherein I, I was really seeing the writing on the wall of, um, you know, one thing I write about in my Substack this week is uh, I had this big idea that my team and I could run 17.com. You know, I had a very big team on the magazine. And the thought was we would take five people to run the magazine and the rest of us would really, really think through what this word 17 could be online. And to me, as, as somebody who you know had been speaking to the younger generation, um, now the millennials who are grownups, but at the time it was very clear that digital media was the future, not print. Uh, but that wasn't as clear to the corporate folks at Hearst. <laughs> and so uh, they just weren't very enthusiastic about this idea. And I just was like, ah, oh, 
they're beat, they don't get it. And so I left to sort of take over the world digitally. But in fact, I realized I had to sort of fix my own foundation, uh, you know, on a personal level. And, and that's actually the work I've been doing for the past, I don't know, call it 13, 14 years is just a lot of personal work. And so now I'm back doing a Substack called Unedited, which is, you know, not very different than the editor's letters I used to write when my readers were teenagers, but about more adult topics. Did you, were you sharing that personal work um, it, before you started your Substack? Nope, 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 nope. I was doing it. I was in the trenches. You know, when I was working as an editor-in-chief, in, in many ways, I was set up uh, in the media at large as being this role model type. In fact, my MTV show was, you know, the search for the next role model. Um, and all traditional media, whether it was like New York Times, that kind of stuff about me was very much putting me on this pedestal of, you know, wonder kid of publishing. And, you know, I had this husband that was so devoted and I was so devoted to my work. But in fact, I was having affairs left and right. You know, I definitely had a much more fast lifestyle um, that nobody knew about. It's, um, it's, but it, it, it oh, impacted me. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's crazy because I feel like, so like shortly after, I mean, like, and I want to say in 2008, maybe 2009, um, media figure, especially with like Exo Jane and, and, and the like, uh, it became like par for the course for, uh, people in media and, you know, journalists in particular to sort of lean into being a hot mess. Yeah. You know, like they were so much less put together than they had been in the, the, the print age. Yeah. But I wasn't doing anything to be a trend. I really was a fucking hot mess. Excuse my French. And so I, I wasn't trying to be successful anymore. I mean, one of the great, great gifts of my life, honestly, uh, was that I was successful. I was successful at a very young age. And so I, I no longer had anything to prove. I didn't need to use my hot messedness as any calling card or a, a hope for success. Um, I had success and I really just wanted to get my shit together. That's, that's all I cared about in a very serious and earnest way. As far as I was concerned, I was completely done with media. I went off all social networks, completely not reachable for anything. Um, and I did the work. And so the only reason I came back and I, I mean, I don't know how to say this without sounding like an asshole, but like, I don't have to work. Um, the reason I came back is because the things that I learned I felt I, ha I felt compelled to share. You know, I, I feel like I have to share it, uh, and so Substack gave me that great opportunity. Well, I mean, it's it's great that you're back. I was so surprised. I discovered your Substack on TikTok, and I was like, well, "That's a blast from the past." I was like, That's "So funny, right? it was so exciting," <laughs> and I'm sure like Thank a lot you. of millennial women had that same reaction. Like, "Whoa, what? Mm -hmm. I forgot about you." <laughs> That's what they they always say the same thing on TikTok. TikTok's funny, memory unlocked. <laughs> we I feel like TikTok is like really it it unlocks you know a lot of memories for millennials. Like it's really going through this nostalgia moment where people want to want to relive you know like I want to say like the late nineties up until yeah. like twenty thirteen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, to me that's actually a little sad because that speaks to how uninspiring today is. Uh, you know, when I was, 
I don't know exactly how old you were, but approximately your age. I, I was so sort of enthralled with what was actually happening in front of me. Um, I didn't need to look to like 10 years earlier to be excited. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and I think that therein lies the really exciting opportunity in media um, is rather than, you know, looking to nostalgia. And, and obviously I'm a beneficiary of it, right? Uh, I, I too am a blast from the past, but um, I think rather than looking backward, I think that there's this great opportunity to look forward uh, and come out of the trance that social media has put us under uh, and create something that clearly the men in suits have not been able to do on their own. Do you think that um, people in media had you know, more space to be creative when they were, when they were mostly working in print? Um, I think that what they weren't is being lulled into a trance. And I do think that the advent of social media, I think has had many, many, many positive, positive results and consequences. But one of the negatives is that it has given us a real sort of bullshit, um, avenue for our boredom you know as a mother of three children when my kids say i'm bored i'm always like yes people this is where the creativity happens because that's where it was for me i mean i remember being bored as shit in my backyard and i would take like different color like different pens and like cut them open and try to like mix the inks and create new colors and textures and, you know, and it was so fun and I would be inventive. And I think that social media has zapped our inventiveness. It gives us this false sense of being inventive by like shooting the bullshit that we cook or, you know what I mean? Like how we wash our face. Like no one gives a shit. You know what I mean? No one gives a shit. Like, let's like create something great. And I, I'm saying this to, you know, the young women who wanted to enter media and, you know, media sort of collapsed from under them, that whole industry. But there is an opportunity to do something new and great. It's just their opportunity to, to take and not squander. And, and I do think social media is, the pro- is not the problem because there's so many great things about it, but I kind of think it's why the innovation stopped. I don't think it's that print per se was some magical time. It's just that during that time, we didn't have social media to distract us. Do you know what like a a solution might look like or just, you know, it's obvious this is a problem and we have to identify the problem first and then maybe a solution will come from that. The solution is like, come to my fucking living room. I'll send out a date in the new year and let's sit down. I have a lot of people who responded to my, my newsletter. Um, I think it, it really sort of reverberated with women in media and, um, and let's just look at what it looks like. I mean, you and I are both on Substack, right? What a fantastic platform. And I saw Hamish earlier this week. Uh, the, the guy who co-founded it. And my thing to him was we have this great opportunity with millennial women uh, to create a, curate, a curated version of Substack, right? Rather than people going to all these wonderful writers and, and content creators like yourself, uh, let's create a bundle uh, and let's add 
you know, let's add some where there might be missing spots. Let's create different bundles for women. Um, I think that that's one opportunity. You know, there are many, uh, but I think we need to just first say like, hi, my name is Atusa and I am a social media aholic. You know what I mean? And like, give ourselves a fucking break from like scrolling mindlessly um, and creating bullshit content and let's create real content. You know, it's, it's, it's funny that you, you know, you mentioned bullshit content because I feel mm-hmm. like even for myself, like, so I'm on a Twitter break right now and for, for journalists in particular, Twitter really feels like the mind killer. Like I find that my content is actually different when I'm on Twitter because I get my story ideas from Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, Great. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, like in I a good way. A good, no, I mean, I think it's in actually a in a bad way. Yeah. And I've talked to a lot of journalists about this and they're like, I feel like I need to be plugged into social media 24 seven. And like, I can't find stories out in the world in my everyday life. Right. And it's, you know, it's, and it's that's terrible. where the stories are, by the way. Yeah. Like, the, those things, it's sort of like by being so sort of hooked into this sort of other world, I think we're missing what's real, you know, and we're missing, I think we're missing what I think could be useful to people and to ourselves. Um, and, and not to mention the real sort of negative, bingy, addictive vibe that exists in the uh, comment sections of different social media. You know, yes, there is some positivity and I think that's great. And like, there are ways of building community that are so fantastic, but there's also so much like disease and negativity. Um, You know, when I first went on TikTok, for example, uh, I, you know, there was like a whole group of people that were just like, you are single-handedly responsible for my body dysmorphia. And I, I, I mean, not to diminish their challenge or their problem or what role I might have played in, um, in media in general and with regards to this topic. But I'm also a mother of three children. And as a parent, I know that I'm the first line of defense, right? If my child comes home and is having issues, I'm not looking at the psychotic images they're seeing on TikTok and Instagram, (laughs) you know what I mean? And blaming them. It's my role to step in and take care of them. And so like you see these people, they're so wounded. And, and, you know, when I first started getting these comments, I reached out to a couple of very high profile friends who, of course, have gone through this kind of thing times a thousand. And their response to me was, no, you don't even address it. They are trolls. You starve the trolls. And I was thinking to myself, these are hurt people. Even if I didn't hurt them, they're hurt people. And how do we help them? And that is one of my issues with social media is that the hurt people are just treated like trash. Um, and, and I think in the absence of curated content, even the hurt people can't get helped. And, and that's, that's something that for me has always driven me to be in media is, is how can I be of service? And I, I've seen, I've seen you've made a couple of TikToks where you've acknowledged like, you know, there was a sort of toxic diet culture then, and I'm sorry mm-hmm. if I contributed to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, it does it does feel like though with that specific thing, it's sort of out of your out of your control. It was just the era. Totally. 
Of course. I mean, not to blame anybody, but myself as well. Listen, I have three children. One of them is a teenager. I mean, she sees crazy stuff. I mean, today's culture of like Facetune and, you know, all that's the way that, I mean, look at the Kardashians. I'm not standing in judgment of them. I'm just saying plastic surgery and cosmetic dermatology and retouching and filters. That is way worse than the late 90s. Teen magazines, you know what I mean? Like, let's be honest here. Um, And yet no one's talking about it in like a real way, not in a negative way, not in a like, let's be mad about it way, but just where are young girls getting support in this culture that they're, you know, I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in teens anymore, but you know, it would be great if they had a real established curated uh, content uh, system that wasn't just trying to get them to click, 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 you know? Yeah. I mean, that's a really, uh, I mean, a fantastic point because I feel like, you know, in the 2010s, you sort of had Ricky Mag step in and now all there is is like teen Vogue, but I I don't know personally how I feel about their content. It doesn't, not that their content is bad, but I don't think it, it serves the purpose that you're talking they, about. Like, yeah, no, they found their niche, which was the political thing, and they want to be successful. These are all businesses. And I guess like, what I'm saying is, you know, more sort of like 17, like not, not like more general women's type of titles. At one point, there was Mademoiselle, there, yeah, there was a glamour, you know, blah, blah, blah. Those brands dropped the ball they sort of suck. That's okay. That doesn't mean that women don't want content that is nourishing as well as interesting. You can do both. It's just that the curators, the top curators have all sort of gone into different corners. They're in different industries. They're all doing different things. And I'm just saying, all right, folks, let's get back together and let's reconvene. We can do something. You know, we can't depend on it from the traditional media companies. I just think that they have such high overhead. It feels like they're not necessarily really thinking of what's what would be innovative. Like it just seems like, you know, they're little by little coming up with new ideas and throwing them up against a wall. But I just think... The same way, like when Facebook came out, it was like, whoa, what's that? You know, that was really different. Something really different has to happen. Um, and I think the only way it's going to happen is through your generation, honestly, because you guys remember how great it is to have curated content. All you wanted to do was to work in the world of curated content. So let's bring it back. I, I mean, I, I, I'm totally with you. <laughs> what what like, kind of... Do you, do you think there's any publication or like any any writers who are you know doing doing it right doing it doing it well or you know what kind no, of what it's kind not of- about writers it's about edit you know like it, the influencers have replaced editors and I think they do very different things um, and I so I think nobody's doing a great job I mean I think if you you know obviously certain publications like The New Yorker, you know, they continue to do a terrific job, but they are, you know, something very, very specific. Um, I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody's doing, no, 
I don't. That's the great opportunity. What kind of what kind of topics do you think like a like a new women's publication should immediately capitalize on or like immediately start creating content for? I think it's just the different verticals, you know, like the different to do really great curated verticals. Like you like horoscopes, everybody likes horoscopes. There's so much bullshit out there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Let's like get back to somebody get Sally Brompton, who's like in her little cottage in England. Um, let's, or Susan Miller, you know, one of the top, top people. And let's create awesome TikTok content for them. You know what I mean? Let's create, let's bring those really great folks all together under an umbrella and be using your brain, everything you know about social media, you know, but but let's put in your hands the really top talent of every category, you know, health, you know, all of it. So that way our beautiful reader, rather than having to like sit through all those fucking stupid for you TikTok videos, (laughs) um, whatever that's called, that one category, um, what do you call it for your FYP or something? Yeah, for you, Paige. <laughs> yeah, the FY, the hashtag FYP. Instead of having to mindlessly and mind-numbingly have to like swipe, swipe, swipe. Like even, I mean, this is a terrible and crass thing to say, but like, I mean, it's, I don't even, it's not even satisfying to me to like poop looking at that. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. that's, it feels literally like I had pirate's booty for dinner. It's the worst. A lot of it. Yeah. I mean, another thing that I think is sort of like implicit in what you're saying is there's like this dearth of experts. It's just sort of like whoever could strong man their way yeah. to the top, you know? And whoever's pretty. Like on TikTok, it's really a young, beautiful person's game. And and I get that. Like, I love those like really cute guys. You know the ones I mean. Like they're great. Um, but like for a second, like I don't need to see them all the time. You know what I mean? There's a place like when I started Cosmogram, and this is really getting at the core of what I think is happening here. It was very important to me to help girls. Uh, on a very deep level, because although I didn't say it at the time, I'm an incest survivor and I knew what my reality was when I was a teenager and I knew what I really needed, which was a lifeline. And so the content that we created that was most important to me was like, you know, inner girl, for example, was a section that we created that was for the internal life. No other magazine had it. I made sure it was the leading front of book section in our magazine because that was what was important to me. But having said that, I knew we had to bring readers in. So I created a sticker page. And that was the sort of light, fluffy, you know, come here, little girl, (laughs) you know, like piece of candy that would be fun. And there's a place for that. But what's happened now is that piece right? Has taken over everything. And where's the protein? Where's the real meal? Like at first, like, you know, we've all had those days where it's like, maybe you have candy for dinner. And that was like super fun and ha 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 candy and and champagne. But then the next morning, you want to have some eggs (laughs) and toast. Um, And there is no eggs and toast anymore. 
Um, and I, I believe that you have to have a balance of both. And that is what curators bring to the table. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. It also feels like the curators that do exist now, everything's sort of like ironic and like not very, not very earnest. There's not really a, there's, there aren't really many people who are like where, you know, they just, they just want to share something special and they want to give people that, that place for catharsis. Yeah. No, you're right. I think that either everyone's trying to be the smartest person in the room the most politically savvy. And I understand that we live in crazy political times, but we're all just people who want to be loved and be in community and find a good relationship and make that relationship work. You know, there's many different aspects to us. We're not just political or snarky. And I think that that snarky quality, that sort of sarcastic wittiest person in the room in some ways is a reflection of that vibe I talked about that has sort of become big in social media where it's like, you know, snark. And, and to me, that doesn't feel good. You know, everyone just wants love. And, and I think that you don't have to be like a nerd or too earnest. You know, I think that I just think it's possible to have a better balance uh, and left to our own devices, I think we were making poor media diet choices. I definitely, and I, I think the politicization of everything is a huge problem. If you, like when I go to publish, I feel like I have to sort of pick a political side, and mm. it's like I can't just do like culture commentary that's not politicized. Like everything needs to like implicitly or explicitly be like you know I'm left wing or right wing, and here's sort mm. of how. Like even on even on women's issues that shouldn't be partisan at all. Like I wrote, I write about birth control sometimes, and that's you know it's a it's a partisan issue. But I'm I'm not. I mean, it shouldn't be. It's just like this. These are the the health consequences of this. That's right, and and I think that's interesting. It's like I think personally of everything from a very non political point of view, which you know my friends all you know I'm like live in liberal New York during especially, you know, most of the Trump, the whole Trump administration, frankly, you know, my friends were all like wanting to kill me, not because I was a Trumpy, but because I would just say, dude, what I see when I see him is a really hurt person. And it reminds me of something that an important spiritual teacher said, Tara Brock. She talked about how you could be walking through the woods and you see this like, you see a dog or something that looks really cute and then it lunges at you and you're like, Oh my God, you can either be fearful and be like, want to shoot the dog. You might look down and see that that dog's paw is caught in a trap, you know? And so it gives you, you don't want to necessarily play with that dog. Right. But it gives you an idea for why, like why that dog is acting that way. And I just like to look at everything from that perspective which is not a popular way to look at it because people loved right now to be very black or white and very binary. And I just, I'm, I just think it's all non-binary, honestly. Um, and, and that, that would be, you know, again, a curated perspective that I would offer that people wouldn't necessarily, I don't think people 
left to their own devices, really make non-binary choices. Yeah, I, I think that you, it, it's so funny because you hear the word empathy all the time, but we're not really living in empathetic, like in an empathetic culture or climate. It is very like black and white, like this person's bad, this person's good, and there is no, no one is granted a redemption arc. Right. No, not at all. No. But I think that, again, they they will in the future because I do think no matter what, there's got to be a change in the way media is presented. It's just not um, sustainable, you know, what, what what is happening right now. I think people are – I think people need to have more balanced points of view and, and they'll get out there. I feel really good. I feel really good about um, – whatever is going to come out of, believe it or not, my goofy Substack from last night. Cause like the girls that are reaching out are so jazzed and they're so smart. Well, you, you do this really great thing. I think where you're really open and raw, which it was a, sort of a hallmark of, I think the 2010s internet, but what you do that I haven't seen or like, isn't especially common is like, you don't just sort of like revel in the, the, you know, the embarrassment or the painful moment, like you're very sort of like solution oriented, like you came out of it and it, you're not trying to sell anything. You're just being honest about this is your journey. And it's, I mean, it's, it's really great and really rare, I think. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. No, listen, I have a great life. Um, but I, I wouldn't, I, none of it would have happened without the bad. You know what I mean? Like I, it's all, it's all necessary, you know, even, the, you know, the sort of downfall of traditional media is, ne- is needed for what's next. You know, it's all part of this, part of one flow. You talk, um, you talk a lot about like curation. Do you think like less people should have visibility? Like there's just too much and maybe some things should be for your friends instead of for the whole world to stumble upon? I mean, I think like there's a lot of fucking bullshit out there. I mean, like I, I, I literally TikTok has been the most spectacular course I've audited my entire life because I spent like basically a month, maybe a month, maybe less. I don't know, a few weeks on TikTok and I've learned so much. And what I've learned is like the dumbest shit will become huge. And what that tells me is people are completely bored and addicted. (laughs) And so, you know, I don't know if they should keep it for their friends. Frankly, I think that they shouldn't. That's like me calling you and like burping into the phone and being like, (laughs) didn't that sound awesome? That was awesome, right? I mean, I guess if you're a bonehead, like I should save that for you. But I mean, I just think we should all be um, just have a better diet. You know, I, I can't, I can't speculate about that. What you're, what you're asking. Cause I think m- most of that shit should be like wiped clean, honestly. I mean, not to sound like elitist, but it, it's really, I mean, yes, no. I, I mean, it's, it's terrible. A lot of it's terrible. And I, I've noticed that like a lot of, there's a lot of content of that genre, but it's like, there's a lot of people who like sort of advertise their grief in a weird way. And I've been, I don't know if you've seen TikToks like this where it's like very, it's very shallow. It's like often in like a meme format with like a music or like a dance, but it's people talking about like the death of their 
their parent or their or a child. Yeah, like, or incest. Yeah, no, yeah. I've seen- yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen the incest ones, and in fact, what, what my my I have this young friend who sort of helps me with my TikTok, um, and she's like, "Okay, this is what we're gonna do," and this is the script, and I was like, "Yeah, no, that's like weird," because um, it's not it's it's not helping anybody, it's not helping the person, it's just literally creating these weird art projects that yeah, I, I think the ones that get big are because they are young and attractive. Um, but yeah, there's really no, no substance to them at all. Or people are like rubbernecking the, the, there's, mm. there's one account in particular that I, I won't name, but it's all about this person who had been abused by their mother. It's sexually abused and mm-hmm. it's just constantly memes. And I'm, I'm just like this, this poor person like needs a therapist and a hug. I know. I want her like, to come over. I can help. Like, <laughs> and, and I mean, not to make light of it, but you're right. Like, the, like who, how can we help people? Like that to me is important. And I think that is at the core of great content. When I think about, you know, working at all the magazines, frankly, that I've worked at, the editors really cared about the readers. And when they spoke to experts, you know, their they would their articles would change lives. I mean, for me, I remember, you know, when I was in college and I was a cutter, I, I didn't know anybody else was cutting, right? Because there wasn't uh, there wasn't the internet or anything. I thought I was the only person doing that. And when I saw that in 17 magazine, that that had a name that other people do it. And then they listed reasons why people do it. And one of them was incest. I didn't, I like, it blew my mind. I was like, shit, that happened to me. That's not right. I, I knew it was a secret, you know, that it should be a secret. Um, because there were, you know, for a million reasons, but it didn't even occur to me to get help uh, and that this coping mechanism was unhealthy. And so that one article changed the trajectory of my life. And that, my friend, is why we need curated content because nobody's going to look at that video on TikTok and say, okay, I'm going to get help, right? Because there is no help. There's no guidance. <laughs> There's, it's just like, oh shit, you know, like, oh, <laughs> that's it. Um, and, and I think, you know, to be able to give service um, that's reliable. Like I have a, I have, like I said, I have a teenager and she's, you know, into TikTok and she'll make these recipes or DIYs from TikTok not fucking one of them works. And every time I'm like, Angie, like how many times do we have to have this shit blow up in our face? Like, and she'd be like, well, you used to have DIYs in your magazine. I'd be like, yeah. And there were people with master's degrees checking those DIYs like 40 times to make sure they were right, <laughs> you know? And yet girls are looking at things on TikTok that are completely not vetted, putting shit on their face and in their bodies. It's just, it's, it's somewhat maddening to me. 
I, I've definitely been a victim of these TikTok recipes. And my boyfriend is like, you've got to stop with the feta and the pasta. Yes. <laughs> I made one. I made one. I made one. And, and like my children were like, mom, what are you doing? And I was like, well, it looks so good. And then like the whole thing just flopped. Like it didn't work at all. And then what's funny is the next day I went to, you know, Food Network, the website, and I did it like a different one from a recipe. And it was amazing. <laughs> Which recipe was it? It was a breadstick recipe. <laughs> but the, whatever it was I found on TikTok was like a nonsense recipe. Like it's literally there just as clickbait. Well, yeah, they've got to fit it into like three minutes too. They can't right. even give you the full the full rundown. I don't. I can only tell you, I was in a trance. It's like a bingey <laughs> thing, right? It looked great. I completely fell victim to it, but no more. <laughs> I mean, it it feels like you know, and this is one of my more oddball, like I guess, conspiracy theories about um, TikTok, and I guess a lot of this kind of content is like it feels like it's porn, but it's not sexual. But it's kind of like hitting at the same base crazy yes. instinct. A hundred percent. It's it's bingey. It's addictive. The same way that porn can be for some people or candy can be for others. Um, we're trying to fill a spot in us that wants to be, you know, like a, an itch that needs to be scratched. For some people, that's like food porn. For other people, it's porn porn. Um I am lucky because for me, like what's most important to me is my spiritual practice, which just can't be really itched by TikTok. So I really feel like my time in social media, probably because I'm kind of a newbie, I was off social media for 12, 13 years. Um, and the, when I was on it last, I was on MySpace. Uh, so, you know, like I, I've just been watching it just as an observer and a student and it's been really interesting let's talk a little bit about myspace you were you were very big on on my well, we were then. early adopters right um but yeah no it was uh it was really fun i mean i left pretty shortly after you know i left the industry pretty shortly after myspace but it was so great to be able to take everything from music to pictures and, you know, it felt like a scrapbook in a, in a really fun way. Do you think that social media has lost something between like the, the MySpace era and today? Um, I mean, listen, it's certainly a lot easier to use and it's a lot cleaner and, 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 and more user friendly. MySpace was, you know, pretty clunky. Um, well, what it's lost is soul. And that's the thing we want to reclaim. You know, even the quote unquote soulful memes on, do you say meme? I, I think so, ask, yeah. Yeah. I've heard some people say mem, and I'm like, what the hell? I don't even know. No, um, that's pretentious. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, so even like the soulful memes on Instagram or whatnot, you know, it's pretty devoid of soul. And, and I did think that MySpace was a little more soulful and felt a little bit more like you're really peeking into someone's bedroom or their diary. It was more customizable too than a lot of other platforms are. Like you can't you can't add your own flair on Twitter or certainly yeah. not on TikTok. Um, the yeah, way you put on MySpace. And, but that's what makes it a little sleeker, right? It's a little more democratic. 
Um, my space had more space for bad taste, good taste, <laughs> you know, all of it. Um, but it was, it, it definitely required more. And that's probably why, you know, it, it had just the shelf life that it had. This is, this is much more user-friendly. Um, but I think that, I think that that, that element that you're talking about, um, of just having more personality, um, I think that that's a great opportunity. Um, you know, I don't know exactly what it looks like, but it would be interesting to say, like, if MySpace were today, um, how, what would that look like? Cause you know, you, you think about how people have access to so many different filters, you know, those things are very user-friendly and seamless, less clunky than MySpace was, you know, if there is a way to, to be more customizable without it necessarily being a way of changing your appearance. Um, but just making, you know, creating your own den, so to speak, uh, that could be so interesting. It, it, it seems like the internet used to be like much cozier or something. And I think part of that is like you needed to, I mean, you mentioned like user friendliness, like it's actually sort of a good thing. There was a higher barrier of entry because it meant that you had to be more intentional with it. Yeah. yeah. And I think the coziness also just speaks to the fact that we were all moving at a slower pace, you know, as the, what I called in my sub stack this week, the sort of the boys in sweatsuits, you know, the, the tech guys have just made it so much easier um, and the cost of entry so much lower uh, to, to be on these different social networks. I just think things are moving really quickly um, and less mindfully. Um, and so it, it, I think that's what has led to this like soulless kind of experience. You've you've written a little bit about your forays into into dating. Mm. Um, that's that's so another fun. area. You're speaking of things that are a little bit too frictionless and swiping. Uh, the mm. apps are also, <laughs> I think, a date. I mean, the dating landscape has radically changed in the last, I guess, like thirty years, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I was wondering if you had any any strong opinions or any opinions at all, really, that you felt comfortable sharing about apps or sure I'll share anything again like I am weirdly like I don't put my self-esteem into it like I think I'm sort of awesome and so when I go to these dating apps like it's really very much from a perspective of oh this is fun this is like a game Uh, I don't have any self-esteem wrapped up in it and so some of the things I've I have witness that is so interesting the anonymity like i'm on this app called raya you know like it's like a celebrity dating app and i matched with this rapper and at one point it was during the pandemic and 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 he was like yeah what do you live what are you doing blah 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 and i was like oh do rappers go for walks you know because at the time (laughs) people weren't meeting inside you know like they were going for walks at best and he's like, yeah, no, not really. And I was like, well, what do rappers do? And he responded, we rap and we fuck. <laughs> I was like, like only through the anonymity, right, of a dating app could someone say something so stupid. Um, and, and, and of course, I was just like, oh, well, that sounds interesting. It was very nice to meet you. Moving on. <laughs> um, but then I've also had other people, the, the, the main thing that I have found the most interesting, and it's along the same lines, is as soon as they find out something about you that they don't like, 
Like there's one guy, he lived in my neighborhood, super cute, kind of the same business, um, like check, 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 right? And then I say, I have three kids. He just unfor- like unmatches me. <laughs> You know, and the fact that that is very common. I was talking to my friend Liam, and I was like, "Is that like the funniest?" He's like, "Oh, dude, I do that all the time," and he laughs at me because when I get similar content about someone that makes them maybe not right for me, I always say such nice things. I say, "It was so nice to meet you. Here's where I'm at." Um, so, you know, I wish you so much luck. And rather than even that person responding back to me, like, Hey, thanks. It was nice to meet you too. They'll just like unmatch. Like I, I like to be in community. Like I actually see people as human beings, but that dehumanization that happens on the dating apps is so funny to me. Um, so that's been my biggest, uh, most interesting takeaway. I, I, hate the dehumanization because I mean I feel like you it bleeds into everything too like when you're applying for jobs it's sort of dehumanizing friends come and go everything is like way too like transitory and I wonder if it's like like what's going to happen to a guy if he just unmatches you and you know when he finds out you have kids there's no like what you know there's no consequence to that and there should there doesn't need to be the consequence is thank you thank you for showing yourself to me beloved good luck You know what I mean? And like, to me, like, I don't believe that there needs to be consequence. Like, I think that the thing that's sad about it is not how I feel because I feel okay, right? I can only be okay within my own system and within my own body. Nothing anybody does to me um, can hurt me if I am okay, right? But I think to myself, wow, that person operates like that. And I feel the consequences, that's their sort of, that's who they are. And that kind of sucks. Like, I'd rather be the person who's like, hey, so great to meet. You know what I mean? Like, whatever. Um, I'd rather be that person a hundred times over. And, and so I find like, even on TikTok, you know, people, oh my God, people say like the meanest shit and comments to me. To everybody, you know, to anybody who's out there, like, as somewhat public person. And it doesn't bother me at all. Not at all. Like, I love sort of, like, sometimes, like, uh, clapping back or pushing back because I think it's funny. Um, But I'm really having fun. Uh, I'm not taking it personal. Um, and, And that's a big part of my practice is just like, I want to make sure that I am a self-sustaining unit. Um, and, and that helps me with the dating stuff, with being a public person, you know, all of that. Um, is that if I feel good within myself, nothing else can rock me. Do you think that, you know, for like the average person who maybe isn't so, isn't so visible, cause I'm sure you got like some version of this when you're at magazines, people writing in and you know, whatever. Um, but do you think like it, it's actually maybe a bad thing if it, you know, does or doesn't hurt people's feelings? Cause like, if it doesn't hurt your feelings and that's a level of detachment that we're conditioning people to have that maybe, mm. I don't, that's something I've thought about. I, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence about it though. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it depends, right? It could be, it could, it, it could be because the person who has that level of detachment that you're talking about, 
I think that that's something different. You know, it's like I feel even like even back then, like when I was in media, there was something called Gawker and they would just fucking go after me every day, multiple times a day. And I kind of loved it. You know, like it, it was, it was great. I mean, it made me like, that's why I was on SNL, you know, spoofed on SNL. Like they sort of created my star um, because I knew what they were saying wasn't my truth. Um, having said that, when someone says something that is true, it lands, you know, and, and then it's not about necessarily feeling shame or feeling bad, but all right, like now what, what do I do with that? You know? So yeah, I, I, I have actually, you know, somebody very close to me in, in my life right now who is really making bad choices and is completely in denial of what those choices are. And it's hurting a lot of people, including me. Um, and, they're just like, you know, I don't see it, you know, and that's fine. That's their journey. You know, no matter what it is, it's, you know, I, I think though in general, I think that the more confidence and security you have within yourself, the better. And even if you're misguided, like the friend that I was talking about who is making some destructive choices, it's still your journey and it's better to go on your journey without feeling hurt. Do you know what I mean? And then yeah. and you will learn whatever you need to learn. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, th- I think you're right. Um, bringing up Gawker is sort of interesting because it feels like we're all sort of Gawker now. Like the comment yes. section is Gawker. And what, what do you think of their rebrand? It feels like they lost their, they lost their teeth, but they, it might be, there's no room in the market anymore for like a oh, real wow. Gawker. They'd have to like commit murder or something. So like <laughs> one up, <laughs> you know what I mean? What's happening now, um, which I don't want to encourage, of course, but yeah, no, I mean, I don't really, I, I haven't been following it. So I I don't really know, but I think that, you know, I remember at the time how I interpreted and understood Gawker, which is exactly what's happening, as you said, in in the comment section now for the same reason, is that our industry was beginning to decay. And so the assistants were not engaged in really exciting, valuable work. And so as a result, they were bored, they were pissed, um, disillusioned. And so they were in many ways fueling that whole industry. And now what's happening is like the entire world is bored. And because I think media has collapsed in, in a lot of ways. And so they are the, the bored and miserable masses who write the comments um, that are negative. So, you know, I think that as, you know, as the media industry went, the whole world has gone. Um, and you know, I just, to me, I don't see that I'm a very optimistic person. I don't see that as like, oh no, the world, you know, is in trouble. I see it as, wow, there is, it's been raining for a long time and it's time for the rainbow, you know? And I, and I feel very hopeful that that will come. I mean, I think, you know, speaking with you, you've sort of changed my perspective a little bit because I, I guess I, I, we're just in, we're just experiencing growing pains. We, I don't think a society ever really like reckoned with, 
the end of traditional media. And now we're, it's like we're transitioning from the age, you know, the age of Pisces to the age of Aquarius. Like we're still, we're still growing and figuring out what does the press look like now? Yeah. 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 And it's, and, and I, I don't think any of us really want it to be what it is now. Um, But in some ways we've been waiting for daddy to fix the problem. You know, daddy number one was the men in suits at the traditional companies, Hearst, Cunning, Ass, Time, all of them. They dropped the ball. And so this sort of stepdad came in, in the Zuckerbergs and, you know, the dude from Twitter, Dorsey. And, you know, and and I think that, you know, they've done some really interesting things, but I don't think they've really helped media per se. Um, and so I think it's up to the girls. Um, and, uh, that's it. You know, it's, I, I'm excited. Yeah, me too. I, I have a lot of, um, a lot of faith in Substack. I, I don't even know why I'm just very like attached to the platform. I'm, I'm a really big believer in it. it just feels different somehow. Maybe because it is more curated, like you've been saying. Yeah, I mean, it's. I don't know that it's curated, but I think that they are giving a home to really wonderful talent. Um, I was just earlier in the week hanging out with Eugene Carroll, and and I didn't know she was fired from Elle magazine. And I was thinking to myself, "Have they? Are they on crack? Like what?" And, you know, I think her substack is probably killing it. Um, and so there are so many people like her who oddly don't have a place in traditional media. Um, and in that way, I think that substack, they, they just seem to really value their writers. Um, and I think that that vibe translates. You know, I, I think I don't know about the curated piece because you know i think one of the issues with substack is that it itself doesn't have a brand you know what i mean like no one's going to like necessarily substack.com to see what you know what is the um but i but i think i see an opportunity there to do something so tbd yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see where where your Substack goes too. It, it's been it's been great so far, and it really does have that that you know magazine vibe. It, you did a you, you know not to not to, I, not to keep being so effusive in my compliments, but you really did do a good job of of translating a vibe to a new to a new medium. And again, oh, I think that's very hard. That's just me. I mean, like, I, I don't know that I'm translating a vibe. Like, I w- I probably should think of how to create curated content on my Substack. I've really just been using Substack as a way of of just exploring what my voice would look like today as a 49-year-old woman as opposed to back then as a 29-year-old woman, right? It's 20 20 years later. What do I have to say? And and Substack has been a really just like a easy uh, way of exploring what that message is. Um, but you know, my great, great interest is, you know, I, I, like I, I always say, I, I'm not really a writer. I am, I'm an editor. I'm a curator. You know, it, it sort of reminds me of like, we were, my daughters and I were at, at the, um, at the New York city ballet seeing, uh, the Nutcracker last night. And I was looking at the orchestra 
And I was thinking, I'm the conductor. Like, I can go into the flute section and pick up a flute and play a little bit bad and just be like, I want it a little more like this, you know, or then go into the string and pick up the violin and be like, can you make it a little more like this? And none of it sounds awesome. But then I hand it back to the fantastic writers and editors who are so, so, so much more skilled than I am. And they just understand what, what I'm saying, you know, and that I have a vision for the whole thing and not any one great skill as a writer or an editor myself. I just, I love to create care packages. And, um, and so that, you know, that's probably my next step is trying to figure out like, where can I create a care package? Um, because I love working with top, top writers and reporters and, and editors. That's what I did when I was working and it was just such a privilege and so exciting. Um, I don't know how much longer I, I have things to say for myself, right? I just, I just wanted to, again, just explore my own voice and, and Substack was a very easy way to do it. Well, I guess to, to close, to close this out, um, may, you know, maybe Substack is, is the place to create a bundle. I know Bari Weiss, she has a Substack and, I, it's, it's the content isn't necessarily my taste because I'm not a very political person. Um, but she does a good job, I think, at like picking new voices who do the type of content that she's trying to sell, um, or, you know, or to share with an audience rather sell is probably the wrong word there. Um, and there is, in my opinion, as someone who is like terminally online and terminally like consuming uh, digital, digital writing, there really is Mm -hmm. no place for women that's not political. It's not trying to pick a side. It's just like, we're girls, we're women. This is our life. This is what we deal with. So maybe, I mean, maybe that's the place where you, you come in and save the day. Yeah. Well, and I think it's like, imagine somebody like Barry Weiss as an, a, a deputy editor or running the news for a broader brand. You know what I mean? Because I do think that she, you know, a lot of people resonate with her and she has so many, such a rabid following, but those people also have relationships. They have, um, bodies that they need to keep healthy. (laughs) You know what I mean? They have friends that, you know, they want to do stupid shit and like see funny videos. You know, people are, are, are not just any one thing. And, and, um, I think, that therein lies, I think, the great opportunity is saying, how do you take people like her and others like her and bring them together and create um, create the next great sort of media moment, the way that Helen Gurley Brown created Cosmopolitan. You know, that that I think is right there for us as an opportunity. I, I really hope so. Um, well, thank you. I mean, thank you so much for coming on my little show. And it was, I mean, an honor to speak to you. Something that like the me of, I don't know, 20 years ago would have never guessed would ever Aww. happen. Um, well, and, 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 and congratulations to you for being an expert in your field and, and doing all the things that you've done and that you continue to do to inspire your audience. It's really wonderful. Thank you.